Welcome to the Telford Minster podcast. Thank you for joining us and for listening along. Our vision is to make Jesus known in Telford. We hope that your attention is grabbed by Jesus today and what he's doing in your life. This autumn, we're looking at the series, Pray, Prayers of the People, looking through the Bible at some of the most powerful prayers in the scriptures, their lasting effects on God's people and how God is responding to and fulfilling those prayers and promises in our lives today. We hope this series is encouraging for you your prayer life and your growing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. So in our prayer series so far, we have explored quite a few prayers. And if you haven't been here, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to them. To get on the get on the podcast on Spotify, listen through them and just see what God has got to say to you specifically about prayer, about the way you pray, how you encounter prayer, or perhaps how you need to tell others how to pray, or just what your life situation is now and how that speaks to you. And I encourage you to do this because prayer is extraordinary. So far, the prayers we've heard about have been cries for help in times of distress. But prayers don't always have to be like that. They can be conversational too. If you've spent any amount of time with me or I've come to your house, you'll know it might have been a bit hard to make me leave because I love to chat. I'm a bit of a chatterbox. I love to have conversations with people, hang out with people, get to know about them, not the surface level, how are you, I'm all right. I want to know the real stuff that's going on in your life to say, how are you? Steph, it's a bit rubbish today. This is why. Steph, actually, I'm singing from the, the rooftops because this great thing happened to me today. I want to come round and I want to play hide and seek with your children and for them to tell me about their lives too. I want to have deep and meaningful conversations with all of you because isn't that something beautiful? And one thing that Jesus and God, they offer to us is conversation. A prayer doesn't just need to be, Jesus, please, may I have this? And I would like this. And please care for this person and do this for this person. Amen. Goodbye. Imagine if that's what I did. If that's what I did now. I just said, amen, goodbye. Or I came to your house and I said, hello, how are you? I would like this, this and this. Take care, goodbye. That's not going to provide a relationship for me. It's not going to provide a relationship between the two of us. And prayer shouldn't be like that either. Prayer is about a deep relationship. It's about praying, asking God for those things, speaking with him, but hearing what he has to say back to you. It's not a one-way thing. It is two-way. It's an intimate, deep relationship, which means a two-way conversation. And that is what we see today in this prayer of Moses. It's a two-way conversation. But before I get into that, I want to give you some context about what is going on. And it's quite complex. It's quite busy. It took a while to get my head around where we were in this prayer. But let's have a look. So for you who those who have no idea who on earth Moses is, you might have seen The Prince of Egypt. Yeah? I love that film. 
Well, it's that guy. Don't base all your knowledge of Moses off that film. Not quite the most theologically accurate thing I've ever seen in my entire life, but that might give you a bit of a basis of who Moses is. Because he's the guy that was put on the Nile and was rescued um, by, the, and he was, because he was at risk of being killed by the Egyptian pharaoh. He was a man who was called by God and met um, by a burning bush which spoke to him, that God was speaking to him through. Moses was the man who was told to return to Egypt, to the place where he was going to be killed, to bring his chosen people out of slavery and into the promised land. In doing so, Moses was the man who split the Red Sea in half and to bring the people out of Mount Sinai. He was rescued and he was the rescuer. And on Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments, you know, the do not kill, do not do this, those commandments that you find in Exodus. While Moses was on the mountaintop receiving these commandments, though, the is, he was gone quite a long time. Imagine that. I've come to your house, and I've gone upstairs, and I've not come back. You might be thinking, I'm fishing through things I shouldn't be going through. Anyway, Moses had gone, gone to be with God to receive these commandments, and he didn't come back. These people were a little bit worried but they didn't do good things. Instead, Moses' brother Aaron made a golden calf to symbolize God's presence, and the people started worshipping this. On his return, Moses was angry and frustrated, and symbolically, he broke the Ten Commandments. He shattered the golden calf, had it melted down. And the conclusion of this chapter in chapter 32 leaves Israel in acute crisis under assault from God as they had worshipped false gods made of gold. There were even plagues promised as punishment because God was angry at these people that they had brought to safety and had turned from him again, again. It's a bit like that in the Old Testament, the Israelites turned from God again. And this is where we find ourselves, with Moses, who's gone once again to have a conversation with God. He's gone to pray to him. And he goes and meets with God face to face as one would speak with a friend. But I want to add here that God doesn't fully reveal who he is to Moses here. But a little bit more on that later. So, Moses, he's going to God to plead for the people of Israel. Because once again, they have messed up. And he goes to a place of the tent of meeting. Now, this place was set up quite far outside of the camp that they would have been staying in, where the Israelites could go and seek God, and where Moses was in communion with him again. And when Moses went, the people stood there and worshipped at the doorway of the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the presence of God manifested at the doorway of the tent. God was there. And so, what does Moses do? He begins to pray to God. It says, you have been telling me, lead these people but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. 
Remember that this nation is your people. For Moses, it wasn't enough to know Hermi and Israel would make it to the promised land. For him, the promised land was nothing without the presence of the Lord. We, in earlier in that chapter, in Exodus 33, verse 2, Moses had been promised an angel, but he wanted to know exactly that God was with him and with the Israelites. He wanted insurance because he was afraid of what was ahead of him. He'd already fought Pharaoh, fine, done, he'd done that. But ahead of him, there was a potential of so much more. He must face the Canaanites, who he must face and fight. He had already had a taste of what the war with the Amalekites was in chapter 17, and war only won by prevailing prayer. And Moses is now even more aware of the rebellious and waywardness of the Israelites. And Aaron, well, he isn't much comfort at the moment. He's being a little bit of a liability. And they are worshipping idols and not gods. And poor Moses, he's here going, what do I do with these people? What do I do? These people, God, you're trying to save them. I'm trying to help them. But once again, they're getting it wrong. It's a lot for poor Moses. He's trying to hold it all together. And where does he go? for a conversation with his friend. Isn't that what we do? When everything's all quite a lot, we go for a conversation with our friends. And this prayerful conversation definitely has some powerful yearning behind it. Because Moses is desperate for a full and proper answer. But what does he get? A one-liner. If my friend spoke to me like this when I was in desperate need, I'd be like, you know, help. But he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. How frustrating that must have been for poor Moses. He wanted to know who was going to go with him. He wanted to have God with him. He wanted answers. But God just says, I'll give you some rest. My presence will be with you. That's not what he wanted to hear. Moses doesn't give up, though. He continues to press God for affirmation of promise. This shows how boldly Moses sought after God for the sake of his own relationship with God and for the benefits of the nation. Moses replies, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses Moses said this because he knew that nothing the Lord could give them would truly separate them from the nations. Only the strong presence of the Lord himself could do that. These words wouldn't have been discouraging for Moses, but it wasn't what he was seeking He wanted assurance of the presence and of rest were only specified here for Moses, not for the nation. So Moses, in the second prayer and response, Moses is asking God not to lead the nation up from Sinai if his presence did not accompany them as well. 
Moses then argues the necessity of God's presence with Israel. He reasons that the one thing which distinguishes God's people from all the other people of earth is the presence in their midst. Moses here twice links himself to Israel. He is not willing to have God's favor alone while Israel's destiny hangs in the balance. So God's presence, he petitions, must not only be with him, but also with them. And so what did God do? Well, he answers his prayer. I will do everything you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Moses gets the answer he wants because God has favour with him, not the Israelites. And I love what happens next. He gets what he asks for, but he just can't help himself. So he asks for more. Aren't we like that? We get something, we get what we want, but we can't resist. We want to have more. A bit like that with cake. I'm eating it, I've had some. And then I have to stop. Laura and Mike kindly took us out for food recently, and I felt like that when I had pudding. I was like, this was a bad move. I I, I didn't need more. But when it comes to God, we need more. Because Moses asks these beautiful and extraordinary words, show me your glory. Moses gets what he wants, and he says, show me your glory. Moses weren't a yes answer from God when he asked for special prayers of God to remain with Israel on the way to the promised land. He also won a confirmation of the promises from God and an affirmation of close relationship. Yet he was still not satisfied. He still wanted more. He wanted that personal, deep relationship with God. He was hungry for more. So I ask you, Telford Minster friends, are you hungry for more? When you meet with God, when you pray to him, are you listening to him? Or are you signing off and not hearing what he has to say back to you? Are you really, when you say, God, come to me, I want your your spirit to fall on me, do you really mean it? Do you want your day to be physically interrupted by the fact that God is calling you to go and help somebody? That you actually might have to leave your job to go somewhere else? Do we just dismiss things or are we really asking God to show himself to us? We can often shy away from that and carry on with our lives, the easiness of our lives. Because following God, following and asking for his glory isn't easy. I know that you probably all pray for for causes, for things in your lives, for the needs of the world. For your personal blessings, but how much, how much do you desire God yourself? How much do you desire God to impact your life? And that is what Moses asked for. When he got what he wanted, he didn't sign off. 
He said, show me your glory. We certainly don't always listen to God. And we don't always ask for God to show himself. Maybe that's fear. Maybe that's our own selfishness or just human ignorance or the rush and the busyness of life. But we can, and it's incredible when we do. It says in the rest of the passage, God tells Moses what he will show him. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I'll be compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord answers and says, here is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock so I shall be while my glory passes by. They will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God will do all these things, but no one can see God's face. Earlier I said that this conversation was face to face. It says this to us in the beginning of scripture. But God here, I think what he's saying is in that that first meeting, in that first start of that conversation, God isn't fully revealing who he is to Moses. Because Moses cannot cope, we cannot cope with the full glory of God. Rather, that phrase is showing the intimacy of the prayer with Moses that he had. God will pass before him. He will be gracious. He will have compassion. But he is gigantic. He is beyond what we can conceive that God cannot reveal his full glory to Moses and to us. We cannot cope with the fullness because God's glory is so immense. It's so extraordinary that we can't cope. When we hide our faces, it's to hide for protection from something. But when God hides his face, it's to protect us. Because he is so big, so beyond what we can conceive. God raises people from the dead. He changes metal to bone in our bodies. He heals us. He brings the most desperate desperate person to full life. He brought the world into being. How can we not see that this God is a great big God? There's a reason that there's that kid's song, our God is a great big God. Because he is. He is so big that we cannot cope with his full glory. And that is why when some people meet with God, weird things happen. Why people fall to the floor. Why people are uncontrollably laughing. Why people don't really know what's happened, but they know it was really, really good what just happened to them. That is why when we meet with God, when we are just worshipping, I just felt joy. Like this incredible sensation. And it's the only time I feel that is when I meet with God. And that's the beauty of God's glory. 
protected by God, Moses could endure the glory of God just passing before him. That makes me emotional because what an experience just to be kept safely in a, in a cleft of a rock so God can just pass before you in all his glory. What goodness that must have been. John experienced some of God's glory when it fell at the feet of Jesus, it tells us in Revelation. Paul experienced the glory of God at Damascus Road, and he also experiences in 2 Corinthians. And what it says is that it was so amazing, he couldn't describe it. We as Christians should want to experience this glory. Paul made it clear that we cannot fully see God's glory. We see it as a piece of polished metal dimly. But we can see something of it. Paul didn't say we see nothing of the glory of God, only that we can't fully see and comprehend it. So, as I come into land, today our encounters with God with can be face-to-face, or at least on a personal, often private, we don't have to go to the tent of meeting. We don't have to go to a special place. We don't have to be in church to meet with God. We can be anywhere. Jesus opened the door to personal, perpetual face-to-face encounters with God through the Holy Spirit. It can be a room like this. It can be on the bathroom floor. It can be in a coffee shop. It can be in a jail cell. It can be wherever you find yourself, you can meet with Jesus. What makes for worship is not our style, our location, our media, but the very presence of God. Any space where heaven and earth can connect, share the glory of God, and that changes lives. So as we pray and experience this, it cannot be one-sided though. As we pray, as we commune with God like old friends, we have to listen to what he says to us. It's not something we sign off for, but it's to give time to him. I'm currently um, doing a course called Her Voice, and the leader of the course always tells us that to waste time with the Holy Spirit Because it's not wasting time. Because it's there that we meet and we hear what God has to say to us. My second point. Friends, when we pray, when we seek our God's glory and desires, things change. Prayer works. Yes, it's in his timings. Yes, it doesn't always answer the way that we want it. Yes, we might get some kind of weird cryptic answer like Moses got. But I promise... God hears your prayers and he will answer them in the times. You probably, many of you know that there's some things in my life that I have no real understanding why God did them and they're devastating. But God answers and God is good. So I ask you, the most powerful thing that you could do for Telford is pray. Pray the way that Moses did. Go and meet with him and say, pray the way that Moses prayed for the Israelites. Why aren't you with these people? Come to these people. 
pray intentionally and without giving up. Imagine the difference if we all prayed the way that Moses did for the Israelites, if we prayed that way for the people of Telford. And finally, don't be afraid to genuinely, honestly, and sincerely ask for God's glory. In the busiest of life, you may not be anywhere near or aware or awake enough to see God's presence, but it's right before you. In the answering of emails, of walking kids to school, of care, of work, of typing, of washing up. God is there. So why not ask to see God's glory? Because he loves to show it to you. As we worship today, God showed up. God showed his glory. God shows us his glory in the most bizarre and wonderful and extraordinary ways. So why not be brave enough to ask? And when we ask to see God's glory, he will probably answer that in countless ways. He may show us some attribute of his character that we've missed, ignored or minimised. He may open our eyes, his smile behind a frowning providence. He may meet some temporal need in a way that worms our soul and fills us with gratitude. He may give relation or breakthrough to what was so long-standing that reconciliation seemed humanly impossible. But the fullest response to our plea, show me your glory, is to turn our eyes and our soul to Jesus. In him, the whole fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And our knowing the fullness of his answer doesn't mean we shouldn't ask. On the contrary, it inspires to ask us to ask all the more. It is really, is it really then in your deepest hearts to pray the way that Moses prayed? To pray for the situations in your life the way that he did. Prepare to listen, to prepare to have that conversation, to be prepared to not give up. And be prepared when God answers, when God shows up, to ask all the more of him and say, show me your glory. So friends, I wonder if you would open your arms and shall we pray those words and just wait. Lord, show us your glory. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has blessed you. Hit the subscribe button to hear more like this and to find out more about Telford Minster. Follow us at Telford Minster on Instagram and Facebook or go to telfordminster.org.uk.